this morning. Let's turn back again to the book of Proverbs chapter 2. Kids can be dismissed to the nursery over there. I'm sorry. That's called a feather sword. So you know, <clears throat> you can laugh all you want, but I got one bigger than that at home. <clears throat> I got one too. We had little fights with it. They're really good for beating a dog. He doesn't. He thinks you haven't. You can really whack the dog with them. Anyway, Proverbs chapter two. <clears throat> we have been <clears throat> talking about key words in Proverbs chapter two. We have been looking at it from the aspect of. How to build a relationship with the Word of God. Ever since we've started our church, which has been about six months now, we have uh, been focusing on that, trying to broaden the base, trying to help you uh, understand where you're at with the Lord before we really delve into the things in the Bible. Yet at the same time, we have been dealing with many of you one-on-one in the Bible, trying to show you some things and help you lay out some things into the Bible. And that's a standard offer that I have as your pastor here is, Anybody that wants to study the Bible, uh, I will spend a time with, uh, every week with you helping you figure out the Word of God and putting things together, and uh, you know, my wife will. Uh, we have couples that will disciple you. Uh, whatever you need in your life, you know, we want to try to make it uh, there for you because uh, you know, the Word of God is the most important thing that you'll ever have in, the, in your life. So we have been focusing on Proverbs chapter 2, and I, I'm sure now that you can see we've been through here. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, how that every verse is just absolutely filled with biblical principles that need to be applied uh, into our lives. Remember I told you that the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs all start out with the phrase, my son. And I've told you this before, but, you know, just so you don't forget that uh, God is showing us as his child some great things that we need to know about building a relationship with God. The books of Proverbs is one of the five wisdom books in the Bible, and in that book is the issues of life as you and I need to understand them. And we have focused on and been focusing on uh, every one of these concepts and what great powerful words that they are, uh, and examining them in the light of the Scriptures and the Word of God. And today we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 2. I'm going to read the first five verses just to give us a kind of an application context here, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll pick up where we stopped last week. My son... If thou wilt receive my words, and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you today. We love you so much. We thank you for the time that we can spend in your word. And we just ask you to bless us now, give us wisdom and insight into all the things that we need to look at today. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, you notice the words that have been down through here. We've looked at some of them already, and we're going to continue to look at them in the weeks to come. But we looked at the word receive, where it talked about receiving my word. We talked about hiding thy commandments with thee. <clears throat> today we're going to talk about inclining thine ear, or we talked about that last week, inclining ear unto wisdom, and today we're going to talk about applying thy heart to understanding. You know, 
<clears throat> all my Christian life, all my Christian life I have been taught and been told, and I'm sure many of you heard this too, I've been told all of my life that reading the Bible will solve your problems. All my life I've heard preachers get up in the pulpit and say, if you've got problems in your life, read the Bible and the Bible will solve your problems. Well, I want to say to you this morning, that's not exactly true. Reading the Bible by itself really won't solve your problems. Lots of people read the Bible. Reading the Bible will not solve your problems. And this brings us to the message today. Applying the Word of God or applying what you read will solve your problems. And that's the difference. I remember as a young Christian, I really wanted to, I really wanted to learn the Bible. I grew up, as I've told you many times, uh, with a, a, with a gang load of old Philadelphian type preachers that, uh, come out of the, that last period that really, really, really believed the book, taught the book, and, and they were some incredible influences in my life. And I'll never forget as a young man, I used to try to do everything they'd say to do. A lot of it I would find out that I wasn't either listening or they weren't explaining it very well because I'd get the wrong concepts and it was a, you know, it was a bust. It really didn't work for it. But I'll never forget. I knew a preacher that put such an emphasis on the Word of God. And I remember hearing him preach and he would, he would talk about the emphasis of the Bible in your life and my life and how the Word of God will impact and change your life. And I wanted that. And I remember him saying to me, and I remember him saying in his preaching that, that the Bible was so important to him that he read the Bible through once every 33 days. Now, I wanted that too. <clears throat> so I embarked on an adventure in my life <clears throat> that for a long time of my life, for over a year, I read the Bible through once every 33 days. Now, to do that, you have to read 50 chapters a day. You have to read 50 chapters a day to get through the Bible in a month. And I want to say this to you. At the end of that 30 days, I was more screwed up and confounded than I was before I ever did it. Because let me tell you what I did. My goal was to read that Bible through in 33 days because I thought that would make me like Him. So, in the midst of all that, I got my priorities wrong and I'd spend to judge my spirituality on if I got my 50 chapters in or not. And if I got my 50 chapters in, I had a good day. If I didn't get my 50 chapters in, I felt like I was a failure. And I began to focus on what I was doing instead of what I needed to be. And for a year, over a year, I did that. But I learned a great truth. And that great truth, and I always learn things the hard way, but I learned a great truth. I mean, I, I enjoyed reading the Bible. It was good for me. It was discipline for me. But I learned a great truth. And the great truth was it wasn't how many times that I go through the Bible, but rather how many times the Bible goes through me. And when I learned that, it became an incredible concept in my life. Because then I understood that it wasn't the fact that I read the Bible, it was the fact that I applied what the Bible said to my life, and that's what made the difference. Because the Bible, as we all know, is a book of absolute standards and principles. The Bible, as the book that God has given us, is the absolute standard. I mean, it, it, a principle and concepts. Uh, we've heard the term, we've all used the term, in a perfect world. You know, somebody says, well, I'd like for this, 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 and somebody will say, well, in a perfect world, it ought to be this way. Well, that's the world the Bible's talking about. There's coming a time when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and sits down on the throne in Jerusalem, and He runs and rules this earth 
with a rod of iron through the Word of God, righteousness, that it's going to be a perfect world. And when we talk about it today, we talk about it the way we would like for it to be, that all the wrongs are righted and all the things are done the way they need to be. And of course, the Bible is what does that. The Bible is a book that will change the life of anybody or any nation that embraces its principles as absolute rules of authority and standards. I talked last week about the Ten Commandments. And I told you how the Ten Commandments were not given to keep. God understood when He gave them that no man could keep them. In fact, Christ came to fulfill the law because no man could keep it. But the Ten Commandments were given as a moral code, as a moral standard by which when you follow it, it gives you a concept of morality, an absolute principle in a society or any society, and it sets a moral standard, and that moral standard of that society, country, will be higher because they follow it than it will if they don't follow it. Now, that's what's wrong with America. We are arguing and taking people to court because of the fact that they want to take the very basic, absolute standards of the Word of God that, that remain out of our society. And that's the problem. I remember years ago when they, uh, uh, when they banned prayer in school. Most of you weren't alive when they did that. Some of you were. And I remember years later when I'd hear preachers talking about that, and they would get on great crusades because they felt like banning prayer in school was a, was a terrible thing. Now, let me just clarify this. I really don't care if an unsaved teacher prays with my kid or not. I really don't care. Banning prayer in school from that aspect didn't bother me one way or the other. My kid is, not, my kid is going to pray in school. Let me tell you something. They had prayer day, no matter what the government said, no matter what society said, there was at least four days a year that were national prayer days in my two kids' life when they went to school. And that was the day they got the report cards. <laughs> they prayed all day long, that thing would be good, see? So, banning it from school doesn't change anything with my kids. They, on that day that report card came out, it was, oh, God, deliver me all day long, see? I mean, I see him going out to the bus singing, My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All he needs is A's and B's. I mean, that's how it was, see? God knows I would have needed that prayer when I was in school. I wasn't smart enough to figure it out. But you see, from that aspect, banning prayer in school, I don't care. Because nobody, nobody's going to have more influence in my kid's life than me, and I'll teach them how to pray, and I'll pray with them. We prayed before they went to school. We prayed, we prayed when they came home from school. We prayed, we, 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 pray, we taught them how to pray. But I also understand there's a greater issue here. And that's what I want you to focus on. Because sometimes we lose the greater concept because we don't really get the, the, the meat of the message and so we get caught up in all kinds of movements, you know, without really understanding the movements. The application of God's absolute principles will give you an absolute guideline in your own personal life. It'll do it for any nation on this planet. And banning prayer in school may not have affected my children. 
Because dad is going to pray with them. Mom is going to pray with them. But what it did do was set a moral tone in this country that began to turn its back on God. So on a big scale picture, when America turned her back from the absolute principles, this country began to digress. And we're living today in a day and age where we don't really understand where we've come from to where we're at to where we're going. Now, our founding fathers understood this. And I know that you don't get this today, but uh, uh, it's, it, and somebody asked me one time, you know, and they were sincere, they said, Bob, uh, all this stuff you're telling me, uh, how do you find that out? Uh, where's it all at? How do you get that great information? And I looked at it and I said, it's a conspiracy. They hide that stuff in books. You see, we don't read today. Okay, <laughs> I can handle that. Bob, I just won the lottery. You get the tithe off of $69 million. Well, the, the lottery is gambling. But the tithe belongs to the Lord. Anyway, it comes in. No, I'm just kidding. I can handle that, Jimmy. I can handle that. Okay. So anyway, any nation, any person, hey, you know what? If you, if you don't enjoy your salvation in church, I'm just going to tell you, you ain't going to be happy. We enjoy what we have. I am so tired of God's people looking like they've been baptized in dill pickle juice. I am not kidding you. If you're saved and I'm saved, we just have fun in the Word of God. And we laugh, we joke, we just have a good time. Hey, I'm saved, man. I mean, when you, when you get to heaven, what do you think it's going to be? Just stand around saying, well, we're here, praise the Lord. Yeah, I know. telling you what, man, you enjoy what you got. But this nation, or any individual, is, will only be as strong as the absolute principles that it embraces. Now, our founding fathers understood this. They really did. They really did. And that's why they embraced, uh, in such an, a great way, the principles of the Word of God, even writing into the Constitution. When, when, when we broke with England, when we broke with England, overnight... This country had lost any form of government. And when the 13 original colonies or states, whatever they were at that time, when they, when they went back to their states, they did not have a government. And they had to come up with state constitutions that were going to give them some kind of governing body. And every one of those governing founding fathers in every one of those states, and, and in, by 1892 there was 44 states in the Union. And every one of those states in their state constitutions had the following uh, decrees. That if you were going to hold public office, you had to acknowledge God, you had to acknowledge the devil, you had to acknowledge that the Bible was the absolute final authority in all things, and you had to acknowledge the fact that there was a judgment of unsaved people, there's a heaven and there's a hell, and as an elected official, someday God is going to hold you responsible at the judgment for how you govern. Now that's the way it was in the beginning. Noah Webster, one of the great founding fathers. We have the Webster's Dictionary today, which is a, a, a shadow of what it was. In his 1828 Dictionary, which you can still buy, 
In his 1828 dictionary, he come up with the first dictionary in America, the English language, and he used the King James Bible as a defining book to define words. And when you will go to that, you will find a word, and you will find, a, in most cases, a Scripture reference defining that word. Why? Because our founding fathers knew that the absolute principles of the Word of God were absolutely necessary in this country for this country to be founded and to stand strong. And I, on a national level, when you, when you look at the Bible, and you recognize the Bible, and you see it for what it is, it sets an attitude toward God that is taken out and the moral level declines when men turn their back on it. William Penn, 1681, wrote this. He said, the key to good government is not good laws. Because there was another guy at that time that was saying, well, <clears throat> because they were formulating all the plans of this, of this infant government. And he said, that the, the one man said that the key to good government is making good laws. William Penn said, no, 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 no. The key to good government is not good laws. The key to good government is good men. When he said good men, he's talking about born-again, blood-washed men who believe in God, who believe in the Bible, who apply what the Word of God says to their lives and into the country. On June 28, 1787, we still did not have a constitution. And they were, they were, at, they were at ends. In fact, it was almost the end of, uh, they almost just gave up. It was, it was, it was the real crossroads in America. And Ben Franklin, now by this time he's an old man, he's ill in health. He stood there and he watched the bickering back and forth of all these people. Trying to, and he come up and he, he gave a, an incredible address. And breaking it all down, it simply said this. He said, look, a number of years ago, we were in disarray, and we went to God. And we got on our knees before God, and God delivered us, and He says, you men have forgotten that. And He says, this Continental Congress that is trying to get a constitution together needs to go back to your roots, and go back to God in the Bible, and without God's divine guidance, we're going to be in a mess. And you know what they did? They shut down for three days. And they went as a body, as a group. They went from church to church to church to church, and they said, preach to us. Preach the Word of God to us. Give us the Word of God. Preach to us. And a revival broke out, and they came to the point where they went back with their minds fresh, with a renewed vision, and they understood why. Because the Bible is a book of absolute principles. It was Franklin... Washington and Madison that put together what is commonly called the Northwest Ordinance. The Northwest Ordinance said that no new states could come into the Union unless they taught the Bible and God as Creator and the devil as the evil person of this world in this public school system. Now I said all that to say this. Look at America then. Look at America now. The problem is, back then, they received the Word of God. They knew the book was what it was. Today, we have turned our back completely on the absolute standard moral conduct that God has given to man. Now, you know what the greatest part of everything I just told you was? Ben Franklin? 
was an unsaved man. He wasn't even saved. Ben Franklin, he's the one that gives us the account. He used to hear Whitfield preach. And it was Ben Franklin said that one night he backed off over a mile and could hear every word that Whitfield preached. What power he had. He used to say, I hate to go hear Whitfield preach because I just want to empty my pockets and give the man everything that I've got. But he was unsaved. And the record is, he there's no place where he ever trusted Christ. George Washington, the father of our country, an unsaved man. He's a deist. A deist is someone that believed in God, but they didn't accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. James Madison, not saved. My point is this. There was many of the founding fathers who were not saved. Besides that, they recognized that even though they were not saved, they understood what the Bible was. And they realized that the Bible was the greatest book the world has ever seen, and even though they never embraced it in their own life, Maybe some of them got saved later, but the three that I'm talking to about, and there's no record of them ever becoming a Christian, but they realized that there was an absolute standard of good. And I'm telling you, in any society, America, you know, all those years, was not a Christian nation. We use the term wrong. America was never a Christian nation. There's always been perversion. There's always been unsaved people. There's always been sin. America has never been a Christian nation, but America once was a nation founded on Christian principles. And they will give you an attitude and a morality of conduct that any nation that doesn't have it will not have. You know what? God, when God made this whole thing and fashioned this whole thing, He gave us three institutions. He instituted family, He instituted government, and He instituted the church. Now that's why you find in the Old Testament under the nation of Israel that God is so strict. When you got young people coming up and they show a rebellious attitude, you don't get away with it like we do today. Today it's, if, Johnny, if I tell you that one more time, Johnny's saying, that means I got 12 more times. Back in the Old Testament, it was... Son, do what's right. Now, nah, Dad, that's old-fashioned. I ain't going to do it. I'm with the hip crowd, son. Do what's right. Now, nah, Dad, you're no fogey. You go to that old church down there with that old man with that white beard preaching, and they do all that stuff with them dead animals, you know. You sacrifice them. We barbecue them. We have a great time. And, I don't know. and he says, all right, down to, the, down, to the little, down to the little council, down to the little elders. The little elders said, okay, son, let's pull it up. Do what's right. Now, nah, you guys... He got maybe two or three times. And then they took him away and he says, where are we going? We're going to a rock concert. Oh man, I'm into that. Where's it at? Right here. Well, that's just a big hole. That's right. Get down in it. Where's the rock concert? Here comes the first one. Wham! And they stoned him. Well, that seems wicked, doesn't it? By our standard today, that sounds terrible. You know why? Because our society has lost any sense of morality. Today, in the day and age we live in, we care more about the, the, the criminal's rights than we do the victim's rights. But that's what happens when you make evil good and good evil. And the reason why God did that and had such stringent 
concepts of judgment for young men and young ladies in the rebellion because God knew that the three institutions, family, government, and in the New Testament, the church, he understood when the family goes, the church goes. And when the family goes and the church goes, the country goes. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at. In our society, in our time, it was first this way. The church went. Quit preaching the Bible. Quit dealing with issues that make people mad. Try to get along. Get a different agenda. But when the church went, the family went. And when the family goes, the government goes. That's the way it is. You see, the Bible is unlike any book the world has ever seen. It's it's the book of God. It's the only book that is supernatural. It's the only book that's alive. And it's the only book that can do for you what no other book can do. Every other book you will read, I don't care what it is, science, political science, politics, I don't care what you pick up. Every Bible you get and read can do these things for you. These books can inform you. These books can conform you. These books can reform you. And these books can certainly misinform you. But the Bible does one thing that none of these books can do. The Bible will not bother informing you. The Bible won't misinform you. The Bible won't conform you. The Bible won't reform you. What the Bible does is transform you. Whoa! But you don't do that by reading it. You do that by applying it. You do that by putting an absolute standard of code in your life. An absolute standard of code in your life, of standard in your life, and then application applying it to your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be yet transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed. And when you go to Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Ephesians chapter 5, oh, verse 26, someplace in there, you find that thing is, is that renewing of your mind is done by the washing of the water by the Word. Now, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a very smart guy. But I figured some things out. I know how important the church is today. And I know a lot of God's people don't want to go to church. And they all have the reason. But I do know that the church is God's institution. And I know that the Bible was given to you and to me to read, to apply, and all that. And the Bible says you are made clean through the Word. I understand. But the concept of the church for our country and for our families is vital. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm, not, I'm talking about getting there and getting the Word of God preached to you to keep you clean. Now, God could have chose to do it any way He wanted to do it. You know what God chose to do? God chose to call his, the church, His body, and have them meet together in local congregations, have men and, and men come to the point where they preach the Word of God, that when you come and you look into the Bible, and you bring your Bible, and the Bible, Holy Spirit of God, through the Bible, touches your life, that you get under conviction, and then you judge your own sin. And you get right when you leave, before you leave, right now, whenever. Because the bottom line is this, if you don't judge your own sin now, today, and through the preaching of the Word of God, you look at it. Thursday night, we had a gal come in. She wanted to ask, she had some other questions. She was going to ask me about the Bible. Had nothing to do with getting saved. 
Somebody asked a question about the upcoming movie of Christ being crucified by Mel Gibson. We batted that around for a while, played a little volleyball with it, had a good time. And at the end of that thing, you know what? She forgot completely about her question about what she wanted to ask. And boy, when I gave the invitation, her hand went up like a ballistic missile. And she wanted to get saved. You know why? Because in the process from that time, God's Spirit said, Oh, you just thought you wanted to ask those questions. The real question you need is your own soul. And boy, she got it squared away. And someplace in that process, she said, I need to get saved. You see, God gives you a preacher, He gives you a church, and He calls you together and says, Forsake not the assembling yourselves together as a manner of some is, because He wants you to look at your sin and judge yourself so He don't have to come down and judge you Himself. And as much as you dislike me sometimes when I say things, and I make you mad and turn you off, oh, I'm a lot easier to get along with when he comes down and whacks you. When he takes you to the woodshed, boy, I mean, it is a small woodshed and no place to run. I ain't kidding you. But see, God designed that. No! I lived for my, by myself for a while before we got married, and, and, I, and I, during that time, I became quite a, quite a, bachelor as far as doing things around the house. Now, the moment I got married, I realized that those jobs were over. <laughs> Just kidding, honey. Just kidding. Did I not... Hey, 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 hey. Did I not cook you dinner last night? Yes, I did. Had a little trouble getting the wine cork out of the bottle, but we did otherwise. <laughs> Just kidding you. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't. The TV dinner was tough. That microwave, them buttons are good. And I'll never forget, I was a young guy, my mom, my mom got remarried after my dad died, and I was by myself. And I'll never forget, I went down to wash some clothes one day, and I put the clothes in, put the stuff in, you know, pushed the button, it wouldn't work. Well, I did everything in the world. I checked all the breakers, you know, it just wouldn't come on. So, you know, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to call the Maytag repairman, he don't do nothing anyhow, you know, and, and so it just cost me 45 bucks. Well, this is back in 1960. 1970. I mean, that was a lot of money back then. And so he comes over there, you know, and he, I said, I explained to him what I was doing. He says, huh, I said, that's a strange thing. He said, I've never seen that before. I said, I don't know. I said, it's not that old. So what he did was, is he, he walked over and he, he closed the lid and pushed the button and it started to work. <laughs> I paid $45 to learn the lesson that you put the lid down before you push the buttons. <laughs> You're laughing. You know what? You think I ever forgot that lesson? <laughs> As the Bible says, I trow not. <laughs> I got it, man. I got it. But then it was really funny because I don't want him to know that I'm stupid, which I'm sure by that time he's already figured out. But he don't care. He's getting 45 bucks. So I looked and I said, hmm, that is strange. Didn't work that way for me when I put the lid down. Must have been a power outage, huh? But, I, you know, ever since that time, I, I thought to myself, you know, worship machine. That's, that's, that's the way churches are. Because you've got to get clean. And the Bible says you're clean through the water. Now, ladies, I'm not sure that you men don't know us, but ladies, we know this. <laughs> when you wash clothes, <laughs> you put the clothes in, put your whatever you're laying in, and then you turn the water on. Now, when it fills up, does it just get the clothes clean? No. No. There's a little thing in that washing machine 
called an agitator. And that agitator kicks them clothes six ways from Sunday. And when that agitator is done beating you over the place, going back and forth, oh, that was another great thing I had. Do you ever have one that gets out of balance? No, that was an experience when I was by myself. I turned that thing on, man, and I didn't know you had to balance it out. I'm sitting there, turning it on, and it starts filling up, and then the agitator starts going, and all of a sudden, it, that working machine starts going, boom, 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 boom. I mean, it's like we're doing the rumba together, you know, boom, 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 and I'm trying to catch it, man. It's going all over the kitchen. you got to balance it. But it, it don't get clean by itself. You put the clothes in, put the water in, and then the agitator beats those things six ways from Sunday, and the clothes come out clean. Well, that's like going to church. You come here, you got the water. But just reading that book by yourself won't always get you clean. You know what you need? You need the agitator. Oh, yeah. You need somebody to stir it up in your life. Because I know you. I know you. Oh, I know you. I know you. You know how I know you? Because I know me. You know what I know about both of us? Given a chance every time we will. We'll read the passage of the Word of God that fits us best and not read what we need to read. Oh, how many times we all had pet sins in our life that we didn't want to dump and we just stirred away from those one thing there that always pointed the finger. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. God's program is a church. And when you come, you come to get clean. And where all the other books in the world will inform you, misinform you, conform you, the Bible will transform you by coming, getting the Word of God, and then letting an agitator stir it up in your life that God gets you to deal with your sin in your life so God doesn't have to come down and deal with it. That's what's wrong in America. There's no Bible, there's no water, and there's no agitation. Preachers today, they're not going to preach on anything that's going to cost them their job. They're not going to preach on anything that's going to damage their income. They're not going to do anything. Why, when you've got some big project you've got to do, you think you're going to get up and make people mad so they'll leave? I'm telling you. When your preaching is dictated by, by other things than, than being the agitator and realizing what the Word of God does, I'm telling you. And the world sees that, and they look at it this way. Oh, don't go to his church. Don't, no, 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 don't go to that church. No, 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 that's a cult. What they'll do there is they'll brainwash you. Well, I got news for you. That's exactly what some of God's people need. You need your brainwashed. You need to stick your head in the washing machine, let that agitator kick you six ways from Sunday for a while, and you get the evilness out of your mind and out of your heart, and your heart gets washed. Now, the world calls that brainwashing. The Bible calls it brainwashing. I'm sorry. That's what you're supposed to do. I mean, I never figured it out. You join the Marines, and they take you down there at Pendleton, or out in San Diego, and here's how they do it. Okay, guys, line up. Today, we're going to march. Now, I know that some of you didn't sleep well last night, because you're away from home. And I want you to look at me as your mama, or as your father. And I'm going to lead you today... And you know what? If you get tired, just raise your hand. Well, we'll have a Jeep come up and we'll put you in it. Well, and we'll take you all the way up because I don't want you to be hard. I don't want you to, I don't want you to hurt because you know what? If you get mad at me, you might get mad at the Marines. And then you might go join the Army or the Air Force or the Navy or the Coast Guard. And we couldn't have that because we're Marines. So let's all line up now. Come on, get straight. Hey, no, no talking in line. No talking in line. 
Come on. No, no. no. You know what? I like the sunglasses, but could you take them off right now because nobody else has them? And in a code of military code, we all got to look alike. Is that how it works, John? Huh? Huh? John never did get over Look at his haircut. It looks like the planet Mars from 4,000 miles away. I feel it's shaved off. Well, I mean, look at it. Is that how it went? No. You guys been in the military. Is that how it goes? No. Oh, no. No, no, no. A thousand times no. Why? Because they want to build Marines. And when they bring you in there, they got to tear down what you are, brainwash you. When I get out of basic training, the last thing, the last guy, you know what the last thing they said to us was? I mean, they had run us, done us, and did everything, you know. And we, I mean, when you come out of there, you think you can whip the world. And I was during the Vietnam War where a lot of people weren't happy with the war. A lot of hippies were spitting on uniforms and all those things, you know. And you younger people know what hippies are. I don't know how to explain it to you, but anyway. But they were hippies, you know. And we were out there, and, and the last thing they said to us before we went home for Christmas was they lined us up in this guy, this big old Colonel or whatever he was, been in for a thousand years, you know. He says, look, he says, you boys are going home and you're going to get laughed at and spit at because you want to stand up for your country. He says, if anybody, in the airport, in the train station, your old high school friend, your old high school... T-, he went down the list. He said, you take them aside and you beat the blankety blank, 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 blank. I never heard so many ad- descriptive adjectives in my life. <laughs> and you know what? There wasn't a man that wasn't standing there that morning at old 5.30 that didn't understand or didn't think you could whip the world. You know why? Because you've been brainwashed. You've been brainwashed. You've been brainwashed to the point where you thought you were invincible. You've been brainwashed with the Marine Code. You've been brainwashed to rip that rifle apart and put it back together blindfolded. You've been brainwashed to do everything, everything. You march in a line, you can turn on a dime. I mean, everything is just perfect. And you are a Marine. You are tough. You can eat the world. I mean, you are, you are the, you are the epitome. And you can go anywhere in the world because your nation's gonna call on you first. And boy, off you go. Bum, 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 bum. March around, John. Show us what it's like. It's all right. But you know what? They look at that and they say, ooh, that's great. But when a preacher does it, and by the way, the Bible says you're to endure a hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the captain of your salvation, and you're in an army. Now, I know you don't hear that today. You don't hear that today. You don't sing onward Christian soldiers anymore. You sing ditties. Nice little things. Nice little songs. And I'm not fighting that. I like nice little songs too. But don't ever forget that you're a soldier. And you have to endure a hardness. And you don't get there by somebody standing up in the pulpit and saying, you know, as I came out today, I, I saw when he drove by the park, little ducks swimming. And then I looked over to the other side and there were some beautiful white swans. So elegant. And I thought at that moment, oh God, take this ugly duckling and make me a swan. Oh. I was preaching someplace one time and I was getting ready to go and a guy was, a guy was praying before I had to, he's praying this before I had to preach. And everybody's head was bowed. And he made me so mad. And this guy got up there and he says, oh God, 
No, it starts out, oh, loving father. And I'm, I, know, I know where it's going. And i, I got to preach after this guy's done. And I'm saying, oh, God, why? How? And I was mad. I don't need anybody to put my people in a passive state before I get up and call them to war. And he's going through this ugly duckling swan thing. And I'll tell you what, I, I hate to admit this. I had a piece of paper down here, and I wound that thing up. And put it in my eye, and I, everybody wasn't looking, boy. And I said, God, when David slung that rock, you put it right between his eyes. God, I need you. And I fired that thing, man. And he back there and went like that. You know what? That's not what we need. That's not what we need. We're in a war. People are dying and going to hell. And the wrong the thing that's wrong with this country is it's got no steel in its backbone. The politicians don't have it. The preachers don't have it. So God's people don't have it. And we need to wash out our minds. We get to get brainwashed with the Word of God. We already talked about it last week. Isaiah 55. God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And you do this by applying what you read. You do this by applying what you... You get God's mind, and you get God's thoughts, and you get God's definitions by reading the Word of God, finding out what God says to do, and then doing it in your life. The book of Song of Solomon. What a great book. And that book, basically, if you want to read it sometime, does two things. It talks about the... Christ looking at His bride, us, the church, in a very descriptive form. And I know it talks about the fact that her nose is like cherries and her neck's like a high tower and she's got hair like the goat locks of, uh, and all those things, you know. And as they always say, don't try that at home. Don't walk into the bathroom and say, darling, your hair looks like goat locks out of the Mount Basham. Don't work. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> It'll cost you more than you think it will. Anyway, what you do is you go through the Bible and those things are defined. And when you get the picture of the goats of Gilead in, the, in Bashan, they all mean something. And the beautiful picture. And then it t- the other half of the book talks about the bride looking at Christ. And when you come through, you see each one has different characteristics and they're unbelievable. And it'll, it'll show you not only what He looks like, but how much He loves you and what He thinks and what He feels for you. But there's one thing that are the, is the same. In everything that is different, it says in Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus has the eyes of a dove. And when it talks about the church in Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 1, it said that the bride has the eyes of a dove. You see, we both have dove eyes because we both are supposed to see the same things the same way. Which brings us to our next point. He said, apply thine heart. Apply it to what? Apply it to understanding. Apply thy heart to understanding. Now that's a great thing. Now I know I've given you this before, but I'm gonna, this is one of these things that you just gotta hear over and over and over again. In the book of Proverbs, you have three things that you get. You get knowledge, you get wisdom, and you get understanding. Now knowledge is information. Knowledge is facts. Wisdom is how to make those facts Work for you. Under, looking at it and seeing it and making those facts and seeing how it works. But understanding 
is seeing it from God's standpoint, from God's perspective. Understanding puts it all together. I'm going to give you an example, show you what I mean. Today we live in the information age. Back in the 19th century, men got information from books, newspapers, and a little bit later on, the telegraph. When we entered the 20th century, we got telephones, we still had newspapers, we still had books, and a little bit later on, we got TV. Now in the 21st century, and really the last part of the 20th century, into the 21st, we have the Internet. We have everything. We get information faster than we can handle it. Now, on TV, you have all the news programs. Everybody is reporting anything. You have ABC, NBC, CBS. You have all the cable channels, Fox News. You have Tom Brokaw, Dan Rather, Peter Jennings. Uh, on the radio, you have Rush Limbaugh, Bill O'Reilly. You have uh, Hanny and Cohen on the TV. And they all have, they all, all these guys have knowledge. Incredible. And all these guys have wisdom. Now you understand that an unsaved man can have knowledge and he can have wisdom. But an unsaved man cannot have understanding. He can't. Because understanding only comes, only comes from God. Only comes from God. And, and I'm, I'm telling you. So when you look at that, you hear those guys, I mean, uh, they, 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 they have the facts. They know how to work the facts. They give you information. They'll tell you what's going on. They'll tell you why it's going on, how it's going on. And in a very limited way, 24 hours a day, we are bombarded with that. And you know what? You get the liberal perspective. And you get the, you get the conservative perspective. Then you get the real left perspective. And then you get the real right perspective. And very rarely do you get somebody that's just in the middle. But all these guys make their living by taking knowledge and making it into wisdom and in presenting it to you and to me that we get information. Now, I use these guys. I, I don't play video games. I can't get it hooked up on my TV set. I, I don't play video games. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't play golf. I, I don't play softball. I, I don't hunt. I don't fish. Uh, 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 to me, other than going out looking through my telescope, things to me, I enjoy sitting down, put me in a room with a bunch of self-righteous, egotist guys who are unsaved, who think they know all the facts and wisdom of the world, and then just let them talk. Just let them go. Man, I'm in my element. I enjoy that. I may not say anything, but I will write down and remember everything because I realize that the Bible will supply the missing element in everything that you hear today. And this is what's wrong with America. America has facts and America has wisdom, but America does not have understanding. Because understanding only comes from a book. In just a minute, about 20, 30 seconds, I'm going to give you a $100,000 verse. You notice how I've been giving you a lot of those big dollar verses lately? You ought to have about two I'm giving you another one. And I don't know what you're doing with them, but if you're writing them down someplace, oh, I'm telling you, this one here, this one is so good. I, it's so good, I almost couldn't wait. I almost caught all you last night just to give you the verse, but I didn't have time to do it. Now, let me show you what I mean. I'm going to show you here. Now, we have fun, so just stay with me here. Where is it here? Here we go. Two newscasts. One with... And without understanding. <clears throat> President Bush today, with members of the National and International Peace Delegates, began a series of peace talks to bring together Jewish and Palestine leaders to end the bloodshed in the Middle East. The President, along with the panel, said today that at the head of the issues was religious tolerance. 
stating that all religions were of God and good, and that ending the differences was close at hand. The panel called on the leaders of Israel to recognize the Palestinian government under Yasser Arafat and to allow the West Bank to be their land, to tear down the wall, to stop the opposition, also to stop killing and persecuting the so-called leaders of the PLO who it has been reported wanted Israel to be killed and wanted their land. The panel also called upon Arafat to stop the suicide bombing and killing of innocent Israelis to help the peace process and to stabilize that region. For some reason, Bush stated, this area of the world has always and has been and had problems. Two peoples can coexist, but they have to work at it, and they have to be willing to work at it. You have to give up some things to gain some things. The war in the Middle East has gone on for too many centuries between the Jews and the Muslims. But now today, through our efforts, we have the ability to bring peace to this area of the world and then to the whole world. For America is a peace-loving nation and is a nation committed to the peaceful coexistence of all the peoples, whatever their faith. And then what does he always say at the end of that? May God bless America. <laughs> News report with understanding. <clears throat> Notice how I could be a broadcaster. Bush today, with international and national peace delegates, called for an end to violence in the Middle East. Speaking to Yasser Arafat, he stated that in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12 through 15, it made it very clear, and the issue was unnegotiable. This land belonged to the Jew. It was given to Abraham in a covenant that goes back to Genesis chapter 12 and 15, and it was later called the Promised Land. Not only to Arafat, who had questions, but to all the panel, the president used a large drawing board and he drew the land grant that was given to Abraham, marking it from Egypt to Babylon and going north to Turkey in a gigantic triangle. President Bush also stated that this pyramid-shaped land grant was also a model of the universe and that someday the Jews would inhabit that, uh, that triangle and then breach out on into the universe, IHA chapter 9, verse 7. NASA had no comment. <coughs> <laughs> That's my remarks, not his. Anyway, he also stated that this land was a dispute for so many centuries because before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the area was under Lucifer's control and was lost through a rebellion and then it was given to Adam and the devil came back and took it from Adam and it goes down through the descendants to what comes to Abraham and then the covenant was given unconditionally that Abraham and his people it was their land and ever since that time the issue is the devil has tried to take the land back Arafat brought up the fact that Abraham was a father and had two sons Ishmael which is the Jew or Isaac which is the Jew Ishmael which is the Arabian and that Ishmael descendants that they too were given the land according to their prophet Muhammad. Bush then took Arafat into a private room for a private Bible to study. Turning to Galatians chapter 4, he showed him that the land was Isaac's land and that Ishmael was to be kicked out and that the United States would give any and all military hardware to accomplish this. He then stated that Muhammad was a phony and a demon-possessed man and that Islam was a satanic religion by which the devil tried to wipe out the real people of God. 
He also stated that all the trouble down through history was caused by Turkey, Arabia, Iraq, and Iran, and anybody else that rejected God's covenant to the nation of Israel as God's people and didn't see them as the true chosen people of God. To this, Arafat had no comment. Now, that's where you're at. Now, you see, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's history. I don't care if it's science. I don't care if it's politics. I don't care if it's human rights. I don't care if it's civil rights. I don't care if it's slavery. I don't care if it's religion. I don't care if it's theology. God has the inside on it. And when you get the inside, you're not, you're not reliant on ABC, NBC, CBS, who like to stir everything up, who have their own political agenda. You just get what God wants you to have, and you get His understanding in the matter. Okay, here it comes. Oh, Jeremiah chapter 23. Oh, are you going to love this? Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Here we go. Verse 1. Look at verse 1. Uh, get a good, it's always nice to have a context. Let's look at the context. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Well, now we know where we're at. Verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. That's where we're at today. That's where you get all this stuff. It's out of somebody's private political agenda. It's out of what somebody wants to do. So they'll get up and they'll talk about how God is and how this. And they have no care for the Word of God and what it says whatsoever. Don't tell me you believe in God and God bless America when you don't sit down with Arafat and put him straight where he's at. Because God is going to come down and put him straight where he's at, and then he's going to put you straight where you're at for not getting online earlier. All right, let's go on. Excuse the outburst. <laughs> they say still unto them that despise me. You see that? The Lord hath said, Ye shall have peace. And they say unto every one that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come upon you. Boy, isn't that it today? We're trying to get everybody together. We're trying to work it all out. We got all the president and Congress. Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do when it comes to the election time. I've heard preachers all my life say, "Well, when it comes to election, every Christian ought to vote." Well, I agree with that. Uh, and what do you vote for? Well, here's how it works. You think, well, George Bush, you know, he's 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 conservative. He's the right. He's he believes in God. He says, God bless America. I'll vote for him. All the liberals over here. They, hey, it's a mess either way you go. Hey, don't tell me God bless America and you love God and He's changed your life when you don't apply what it said in every area of your life. Hey, what would you think of me as your preacher if I got up here and preached? I only preached things that didn't offend anybody. You say, well, you got the national policy with the, with the, with the Arabs over, you gotta be careful of. Hey, let me tell you something. My Bible tells me that if God is your God, you don't have to be afraid of anybody. Well, little Jews pro- proved that. While over there in 1960 something over there, I mean, when those, when Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, you ever helped be, see be how big Saudi Arabia was to little Israel? I mean, it's incredible. 
And all of Saudi Arabia were going to attack and wipe out that Jew in the Six Days War. Those old Israelis got over there, boy, and they got wind of it. They said, no problem. Here's what we'll do. You take off with the first flight of jets, and what you do is you fly below with your tail sections, you cut their telephone lines. We don't have time to send somebody in. You're going to have to fly your plane low, get any of those lines raised up, and cut the phone line with your tail of your plane. Whoa! And then, and then, then the next flight's taken off, and they're going to hit us at 9 o'clock. Okay. Wake up call at 6.30. And boy, when them planes come in and destroyed every one of, every one of Arafat's and Arabia's planes on the ground. Had no Air Force in 20 minutes. And then those Israelis rolled through there, boy, and I mean, they wiped them out. Oh, and they call it the Six Days War. Why? Because they did it in six days and rested on the seventh. Mm, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You see? Understanding. There's not going to be any peace. I hear preachers get up and say, Well, I believe that God could send one more great revival before the Lord comes, so let's all, 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 all. He ain't going to send any more revivals. You don't know where you're at. My Bible tells me there's going to be, everybody's going to say there's peace. There ain't going to be any peace. At Christmas time, I always enjoy it. Everywhere I go, I see half of Luke 2.14. Oh, uh, it says, peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Drive down my street. Big sign. Peace on earth. I got this bozo down the street that puts a sign on his garage door. One of those lights, you know, that lights it up. He's got it for everything. I was coming down there walking the dog. and it, There it was. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Peace. 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 I mean, you drive down the street. Big old jingle bells. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Have a drink. Seagram 7, peace on earth, goodwill to more men, drink some more. Then the whole world gets caught up in that. You go to church and they have little pageants and it's peace on earth. And everybody gets up and says, pray for peace. Why? When the war started over there, I know preachers in this city that get up and have special prayer meetings to call their people together to pray for peace in the Middle East. Not me. I know the book. I got understanding. There ain't going to be any peace. I'm telling you. You ever read Luke chapter 2, verse 14? Don't turn to it. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You better read the first part of the verse. It says, glory to God in the highest. Then, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There's no peace on earth till God gets the glory. It ain't going to happen now, but it's going to happen soon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about who to vote for. Just go in there and put a right-in candidate. Jesus. G-E-S-U-S. That's what you do. I heard somebody say, and this is the way they think. Well, vote for George. I heard somebody say this. Vote for the one that really will give you the most and, and do what's right with the Bible. Okay? Well, wait a minute. If my prayer in the Bible is, Lord, get me out of here and come right now, why would I want that? Put the other guy in get this thing over with. <laughs> if I get the Antichrist in power two years earlier and get out of here in a rapture two years earlier, do I have to pray about which way to vote? <laughs> People are wild. You know why? Because they don't have any understanding. They don't have any understanding. Oh, here come. We, we, we ain't there yet. Oh, oh, oh I love this. <laughs> <sighs> They say, peace, peace, no evil shall come upon you. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord? Nobody. And who hath perceived and heard his word? 
and who hath marked his words and heard it. Oh, I hate when my mother used to say that. Bobby, mark my words. Mom, I don't have a magic marker. Rock! <laughs> mark his words. Behold, peace, peace, peace. Behold, a whirlwind. Second coming. Of the Lord is gone forth. Every in a grievous whirlwind, it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. And the, here it comes. Oh, here it comes. And the anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed all till he hath performed the thoughts of his heart. Look at the punctuation. Here it comes. In the latter days, ye shall consider it perfectly. I got understanding. I consider it perfectly. I got a book that tells me what God do. You see, you thought the Bible was a record of God ceasing for man. God. Man. 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 And some guys say, no. God, the Bible's a record of man searching for God. 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 No. The Bible is a record of what God is doing from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22 to establish His kingdom. You don't have to worry about God finding you. He's the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And you don't have to worry about finding you, Him. He knows where you're at. He's got your address. He's got even got your social security number. He's probably charging stuff on your credit card. You don't even know it. He says, consider it perfectly. The other couple of Thursday nights ago, and I might lose some of you on this one, but I had to say that. A couple of Thursday nights ago, remember somebody asked about UFOs and we were talking about Roswell and all that? Now, I'm just telling you, there ain't no, there's no, out, there's no aliens on other planets. But we know there's demons out there and those demons are going to come down that way. We don't have time to get into all that. And I, we were talking about the fact that in Roswell in 1947, we played that whole thing out with the restoration of the nation of Israel, how that they found ships and they found bodies. And everybody says, well, it's a conspiracy and it's a hoax, it's this and that, you know, that stuff. And you know what? You can have understanding in those things. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I know that I know that how they came in Genesis chapter 6. And I know the Bible says that there wasn't a day of Noah so it was to be in the coming of the Son of Man. I know that the Bible says in Daniel there's going to be iron mingled with clay again. How's that going to happen? You think all these things about cloning just coming up because of the fact that science has just stepped forward now and got the idea of cloning? Cloning? Cloning. Yes. OD cloning. You put, I mean, anyway. You know, no. There's a reason for it. And I, I, I watch things. I never say much. But I watch things. I watch how things go. When I see a gap, I know there's something to it. You see, I have understanding. I've considered it perfectly. Not that I'm perfect, but i got a book that is, and it will help me consider it perfectly. I mean, incredible. Incredible. I mean, let's go way back. A long time ago, they had, it was the Bronze Age, and they had bronze swords. And the bronze swords was all they had. And then somebody found out how to make steel or iron. And you know how they found that out? It was a bad way to get it figured out. They were going into battle, and one guy went to hack somebody, with his, with his bronze sword, and that guy held up a steel sword, and that bronze sword just cut like butter and broke in half, because bronze is softer than steel. See? So, a couple of years later, everybody's got steel swords. Then somebody come up and said, look at, bow and arrow. Take a stick, put a string on it, put an arrow. You got, works good. Don't you imagine that was an exciting thing the first time they went with swords, and they said, ooh, 
arrows. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. And then two years later, everybody had arrows. Then somebody got the idea of mixing that all stuff up and, ooh, gunpowder. It was a Chinese. And he said, ooh, gunpowder. And he put it all stuff together and pretty soon put a rock in it and put that thing. Woo! Boy, don't you know that was a trip at the first battle? Lined up. <laughs> Get your bows. You got your arrows. I got lots of arrows. You got your sword made of steel. All right, man. We're going to let them have it. Here they come. Let's go. Where'd y'all go? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Where'd I go? <laughs> Three years later, they all had them. No, no. And then they got better. Around the end of the century, somebody said, well, this is a rifle. This is, a, this is an infield. Somebody said, this is a Mauser. Somebody said, well, you know what? We can shoot five times. Bam, bam, bam. But he said, wouldn't it be neat if you had one that shot a lot? Somebody said, well, let's work on that. So they come up with a machine gun. Don't you know that was a trip the first time out? Come on, man, we're in the trenches. We're going to get them. Let's go. They only got rifles like we got. Let's go for mother and country. And up that thing. Where's everybody at? Where am I at? Machine guns. A couple years later, everybody had them. Then he went out on the battlefield one day and somebody said, what's that? looks like a big turtle. Somebody says, I heard about that. It's a tank. A couple years later, everybody had them. They both start with T. What's your problem? <laughs> a little bit later on, somebody's down there and they're saying, mm-hmm. airplane, airplane. Little guy said, the plane, the plane. And, you know, and then pretty soon, a couple years later, somebody else had them. Then they're shooting each other. Then they're big planes. They're dropping bombs. Then somebody said, hey, jets. Planes real fast. Man, I mean, three, four hundred miles an hour. Then somebody said, sound barrier. We got the planes. They got the planes. We got the jets. They got the jets. We broke the sound barrier. They broke the sound barrier. Somebody said, A-bomb. Whoa. We got an A-bomb, they got an A-bomb. Somebody said, nuclear subs go for 25,000 years on one little grain of pellets about the size of your thumb. They got them, we got them. Somebody said, outer space, capsule, astronaut. Always like the story where the guy says, are you an astronaut? Yeah, he's dressed in a suit. Yes. He says, is that your astronaut suit? Yes. He says, is, what, is this your crash helmet? He says, oh, I hope not. <laughs> anyway, you had to be there. Up in outer space? We're up in outer space. I mean, do you ever see it? We get it, they get it. 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 Stealth fighter? Invisible to radar? Five, Mach 5? Can fly under radar, nobody can track it. We get it. They don't. They don't have it. Russia don't have it. Nobody else has got it. How come they got everything else we got, but when it came to that in the last part of the 20th century, they didn't get it? I'll tell you why. It came from some other technology. You say, oh, you mean down there in Roswell? Yeah, Roswell. How do you get to Roswell? Well, if you're, you have understanding, you just go down, it's in New Mexico, and it's right off our state route, 666. Consider it perfectly. Understanding. 
He said in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 8, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness and they are plain to them that understand it. And you know what? When you get facts, great. When you get wisdom, that's good. Then you're like Dan Rather and the rest of the boy. But when you get understanding, you've got a book that gives you the insight that shows you what's going on behind the scenes. And you can figure this thing out. I mean, I've told you before, World War I, World War II. Somebody says, well, we're going to have Memorial Day tomorrow. we got all, you know, this, that. And I'm all for that. I'm thank God for the men that died in World War I and World War II to free us from oppression. But I still feel oppressed. In fact, i got less freedoms now than I had before. World War I and World War II. Oh, I've read Dan Rather's book. I've read all these guys. I mean, I have. I've read the guys, I've read, I've read all of those guys, I know. And you know what? They all have facts, and they all have, under, they all have wisdom, but they don't have understanding. They don't see World War I got the land ready for the Jew, World War II got the Jew ready for the land, in 1948 he's back in the land. And the fact, between those two wars, God killed 200 million Gentiles to get His people back in the land without even blinking an eye, that rubs us the wrong way, you see. Because you don't know Isaiah chapter 40, and you don't understand Jeremiah chapter 46, a bunch of other places where God thinks the Gentile nation, and He doesn't give a flip. Now, if you're a Christian, see, that's my big deal. I'm a Christian. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Christian. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I don't care if He blows the whole place up tomorrow. It's okay with me. Somebody says, well, you know, you know I think war is a terrible thing. You don't understand. You don't understand. Hell, hell. Hell is God's judgment for sin in the afterlife, but hell, uh, but war is God's judgment for sin in this life. God judges people in this world. You don't just be a nation. Go back and read the Old Testament. You don't just do what you want to do and get away with it. Somebody said, 9-11, it was a terrible thing. Somebody else said, it was God's judgment on this country because it was ungodliness and turned this nation on God. And everybody screamed and yelled and said, bigot, racist, da 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 what a terrible, wicked prophet of doom. You know what? That's exactly what it was. It's exactly what it was. I mean, you see, you have understanding. Now, I know that a lot of people don't understand that, but here comes another verse for you. Proverbs 28, verse 5. Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. You know why? You consider it perfectly. I look at the Middle East. All you've got going on there now is what was going on back in the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, you had the Klingites, you had the, you had the Hivites, you had the Jebusites, you had the Moabites, you had the Ammonites, you had the, every group back there that hated Israel, and the devil put them over there in that land to stop them, and to keep them from getting into that land, and they were against God, and God's people, and God wiped them out, and anybody that went along with them, that helped them in any way, shape, and form, got clobbered too. Today, you look over there, what do you see? Iraq, Iran. Persia. I see Saudi Arabia. I see this. I see that. That's facts. That's wisdom. When you have understanding, you know what you see? You see the Babylonians. You see the Hivites. You see the Ammonites. You see the same group there that was back here. The same group. The same group. And I'm telling you, God, I mean, I got some news for you. Don't you get all caught up in this great thing about America. Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10 show you very clearly that America is the nation the Antichrist goes with. 
He lays those things out from 606 B.C. right up to the time we're living and then right into the great white throne judgment. You see, evil men understand not judgment, but they that fear the Lord understand all things. Why would you think, you know what, I know you don't probably believe this or don't even care about this, but you know what, you know why America's got problems, you know why the farmers can't plant, why they go defunct every year and they have to get money from the government to subsidize and the cows won't give milk and this and that and, a gra- and, a, and it rains droughts here and it floods out here and it just seems like wherever you go, well, I, I planted down here in this state and I got rained out, so I'm moving over here. When I moved over here, I got droughted out and it just wherever you go, this, don't you know this country's got a, don't you know the land's got a curse on it? Don't you figure that out? You say, well, I got understand, I got facts and I got wisdom. Let me give you the understanding. You know why it does? Because in the Old Testament, back in the book of Exodus, it says if you take away capital punishment and you don't cleanse the blood from the land of the murder that murders people, God is going to pollute your land and you're not going to get any crop from it. Somebody says, oh, you're so old-fashioned. No, I just consider it perfectly in the latter days. I have something that the average person doesn't have. Doesn't make me any better than anybody else. I just believe a book that gives me understanding. I mean, it's as simple as that. And I'm telling you, you consider it perfectly because God gives you a book that tells you His mind, that tells you His heart. Okay? Here's what you do. Here's what my goal is for every one of you. This is why I spend time with you helping you learn the Bible. This is why we talk about whatever you need to talk about on Thursday night. This is why I focus these messages to give you insight and understanding, help you build a relationship. And this is why one-on-one I will do whatever for you, give you whatever at your own pace, at your own speed, to help you wherever you need to be. Because what I'm going to tell you is what you need to do. You, Bible says, when you receive the Word, you receive His Word. That means you're absolutely bought into the fact that that book is the number one book in this world and no other book can do what it can do for you. You buy into it. It becomes your book. And then you hide it in your heart. And then you learn that book. And then you apply it. You take that book and you put it in. And you make His thoughts your thoughts. His ways your ways. His definitions yours. And you get God's opinion on everything else in life. And you make it your opinion. You put whatever you want to think. Whatever you want to believe. Like I said last week, throw it out. Make His Concept, your concept. Oh, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Now you know what you do? You get a hold of every book on science you can. You get a hold of every book on philosophy you can. You get a hold of every book written by every unsaved man on everything in this world. And you start digesting it and you start reading it. I don't, I don't encourage you to do that till you're set with the Bible where nobody will, nobody will get it from you. Nobody, nothing you read will change your mind on it. You know that's the book. And then you do what I did. I got everything I could get my hands on. I read history. I read European history, American history, ancient history, medieval history. I mean, everything you can get. Science, medicine, politics, everything you can. Read biographies about great men that forged and shaped this country. Find out why they thought. Find out what they did. And then you judge everything you read in the light of considering it perfectly in the light of one book. And you know what? You'll get understanding. You'll see this country and you'll see it as God intended it to be and what it is today. You'll see the people in it of what God intended them to be and what they are today. It won't be any illusion why the problems are in America the way they are. You won't have to get your news update from, from anybody on NBC or CBS. You won't have to go to Rush Limbaugh to find out what's wrong with the Democrats or the Republicans. You won't have to go to Hannity or Cohen. You won't have to hear Bill O'Reilly to find out what's wrong. You know what? Those guys are great guys and they have facts and they have knowledge, but they don't have a clue when it comes to God being in the equation. You get that from a book by applying it to you. You get that in a book by making that book your book and loving that book with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your soul. And then you study to answer. 
And when you look at the world, you see it. You get your book on music, go back in history, and look at the periods of music, and see how music changed as men's attitude toward the Word of God changed. Go back and look at art, and look how the pictures changed when men's attitudes toward the book changed. Go through the Baroque period. Go through the Middle period. Look at sculpture, and see how it changed for when man, as man's mind, hey, this whole world and the outcome of it has been influenced either by men loving this book or leaving this book. And we are where we're at today because of that. And when you consider it perfectly in the last days, you have understanding, and then you understand judgment. Unsaved men don't get it. I understand it. I realize that all the words are righteous and plain to them that understandeth. It isn't hard. It just comes down to you believing the book that God gave you that has every answer in it for the 21st century, just like any other century. And you're not caught, you're not caught unawares with where you're at and what's going on and where God is at and where you need to be in relationship to God. I told you this the other night. I was reading back in the Gospels the other couple of while back. How did Jesus was with his parents and they were going somewhere. And suddenly they turned around and for two, three days they thought he was with them. And they finally realized that he hasn't been around for a couple of days. And they're saying, where's he at? We didn't even know he wasn't, he wasn't with us. And I said to you at that point, you know what? If his own family could misplace him for two or three days and not know where he's at and still think he was with them when he wasn't, I promise you God's people can go on through this life thinking that God is with them when he isn't. Because it comes down to that book in your life and my life, not just reading it, but in apply it. I don't want to help you to read it. I want to help you apply it. I want to show you how it works and what it will do for you and then how to put the pieces together to make it work in your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed.